Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats 50. That's right, after two years, we finally reached our halfway point and we've hit the big 5-0. Uh, that's also how old Ed turned yesterday. Uh, this week, I'm joined by my co-host, Ed Wynn of Winning Productions, Jim Caselli of Caselli Enterprises, and Travis Allen of MTG Price and Scrat Out Land. We also have a special guest this week. And Morgan, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, you have quite the resume when it comes to everything magic. All right. Hi, guys. My name is Morgan. I am known as at MTG Valkyrie on Twitter, and I write for GatheringMagic.com. I am also the community manager for Lodestone Coffee and Games, a game store that runs magic events six nights a week in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And of course, this is the last week before Amonkhet. I believe everybody is either getting their boxes tomorrow or Wednesday, so we're going to have fun opening some invocations. Um, what are your guys' thoughts, basically, on... It's going to be, you know, we don't know what's coming with bannings. Are prices going to go up? Are they going to go down? We have a new hate bear and prowling serpapod, or however you want to pronounce that name. Are any of us actually going to make money to the point that Ed can afford to buy a suit jacket, if you guys just sort of want to give your first impressions? Um, I don't know. This set's really weird. Uh, I think a lot of people are really apprehensive about buying things because there were bans in the standard not too long ago and people feel like there might be again soon. So uh, everyone's kind of in like a holding pattern, I think, until next Monday, which is, I think, when the bans list gets updated. Um, so I don't know. Like at this point, there are some cards that are probably pretty good at pre-orders, but I don't think that they're necessarily as sure as other sets could be. I think, like, just kind of reading on Twitter, like, Twitter's kind of in this weird state where everyone is... I think people were expecting bans, and then it, bans actually aren't happening until next Monday, and then people are going to look at it and think, oh, this is kind of awkward. Like, we had no bans last time, which may have been the time when there should be something banned, and now because there's a new set coming out, they might be committed to not banning anything. Because it doesn't really make sense, because Wizards can only hope that Amonkhet should be a big enough set. There might be enough impactful cards that prob the problematic cards like the copycat combo, uh, Harakirin, Gideon, like those types of things hopefully will correct themselves. We might see something new. Like, is it likely that Gideon will still be the best card in standard? Probably. Is Harakirin still very good? Yes. Are people going to try and find ways to make the copycat combo work? Yes. But I, I think Wizards can only hope that standard will be shaken up enough that they don't have to do anything but it creates like a really uncomfortable situation for for people because no one is really willing to buy any of these cards because oh what if i buy into this deck and i just like and these cards just get banned out so as such we've seen standard prices drop because of it and a lot of the pre-order prices on uh amonkhet cards have just like steadily been going down as it goes with every pre-order but it definitely seems like people are a lot more hesitant to just kind of dive in and try something new right away. I haven't seen a lot of people like really excited to add much from Amonkhet into existing decks. I think they're all really waiting on seeing whether any of the new decks or the new archetypes that crop up from Amonkhet can actually beat Copycat. So I think a lot of people are holding off and that could affect where prices go just because nobody would be buying anything but that's yeah and again I, I also saw that people are holding off on pre-ordering a lot 
on Twitter. Yeah, it would seem that uh, the Amonkhet's really not giving us a lot to deal with vehicles, or, or I shouldn't rephrase it. It's not giving us a lot to reshape the format. You're getting some tools to deal with vehicles or copycat. You've got stuff like Manglehorn, which um, eats hard occurrence pretty well. Um, it actually stops the Sahili combo as well because all the Felidar Guardian tokens are artifacts. So you've got incidental hate cards like that, but it doesn't look like there's anything in there that's going to reshape the format. Um, so if we don't see anything in the in the banner restricted list change, I don't expect a major change in standard. However, you know, if Wizards takes a huge swing, they could ban both Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, and Felidar Guardian, which would just blow standard out of the water, right? It'd be, it would be like essentially in a completely new format, uh, which would produce a tremendous amount of opportunity for cards to rush in to fill that gap. So this weekend is almost at the Star City Open, it's almost just like a, it doesn't matter uh, because all the information that we care about is going to come on Monday morning. Personally, I think Wizards um, has kept this set under super harsh, like under locks. Uh, you know, with an Egyptian-themed set, one could even say that they're keeping it under wraps. Um, <laughs> personally, they did print enough uh, enough vehicle hate at this point that I think it's fair to say that Mardu Vehicles is no longer a thing. Um as Jim wants to point out, the open is next weekend. Uh, Star City never normally does stuff during pre-release because you can't actually play with the cards yet uh, for those who aren't aware. So the first week that the set's legal, uh, you're going to see some new coverage where everyone's trying to pump and dump cards. Um, now, we did have some of these viewer questions about what exactly is going to happen with those invocations. Uh, Ed had said on previous casts that you know, this might be the first time we see things go under $20 compared to only Black Vice and, like, one other masterpiece going under. Um, a lot of players don't seem to like these new foils. You know, Magic players always love to complain about $100 bills in their booster packs in a cheaper standard environment, which is good for both players and shops, honestly. How do you guys feel going into the final week about these invocations and what they're going to do to both pack prices and their own prices? I think invocations are probably going to decrease significantly from their pre-order prices, but they're not going to completely devalue to the point where nobody wants them because there's always going to be somebody who wants, you know, the consecrated Sphinx for their Sphinx deck or whatever. It's going to be the demand there. It's just not the people who are going to be opening the packs normally. I think the biggest thing to note is like, uh, sorry to cut you off, Jim. Uh, the biggest thing to note is I think no. demand has gone down. Uh, it, it feels like they've gone down with each passing set. Like when you start with Zendikar, you have lands. Like everyone needs lands. Like fetch lands are always awesome. Shock lands are always awesome. Like a lot of the utility lands, always awesome. Whereas you went onto masterpieces, which were great because they're artifacts. Like everyone needs to play artifacts. Like Soul Ring, great EDH card. Rings of Brighthood, great EDH card. Right, like those are some of the super fast movers. Chromatic Lantern, every deck plays it. Whereas now you're getting into more and more narrow cards, like Days. Like, come on, like what kind of person wants Days? Like, are people really going to like get rid of their sweet Nemesis foils for them? Probably not. What are format people... is that even for? I don't even know who plays. What format is that legal in a format of Magic? Legacy. You can play like, them in but they're not very I, good. I was teasing yeah. Jeremy. The one true format. <laughs> Try to cut you off, Ed. Uh, yeah, and like, like even Mind Sensor, like who plays that? Like it's fallen out of favor in like modern almost entirely. When there was a point in modern when it was like a ten dollar uncommon, 
And now, like, almost no one plays Aven Mind Center anymore. And so it's becoming more and more narrow. And as such, we've kind of seen, like, the pure prices on the invocations just slowly plummet. And it's just making, like, it's kind of making the set just less and less appealing to open, at least right off the bat. I mean, I expect um, the invocations to basically land somewhere between no invocations and... Uh, in Kaladesh, right? Like they're, they exist. So they're going to kind of have that spoiler effect on the rest of the set where it pulls the prices down and everything else, but it's not going to be as, uh, significant because basically people don't care nearly as much about these as they did the, excuse me about the Kaladesh ones. It seems like you're just going to land somewhere in the middle, which means don't go anywhere near them and keep an eye on the expeditions, I guess, because they're the oldest masterpiece series we have to kind of get a feel for what those curves could look like. Um, Kaladesh is a better match, but it's so much newer. It's hard to tell, but I do think that in general, we're just going to see way less demand for them. And I expect prices to be lower on invocations across the board than on uh, inventions. Yeah, I, I agree with most of what everyone's saying. Um, I think that the the choices, at least for these, have a lot of potential to go up and down from their current prices. Like, I could definitely see a world where the god cards, if they become more popular in EDH as generals, could be very expensive because they're very unique. And, you know, pack, pack foils are things that actually get hurt the most because of this. Um, and... We've seen that actually with the uh, with the expeditions, especially the pack foil like Return of Ravnica and Gate Crash, uh, Shocklands are worth like basically nothing at this point, which is surprising actually. Like the pack foil uh, Temple Garden, I think from Return of Ravnica is like five or six dollars more than the regular one, which is not the, it was was not the case when the set came out. You know, the regular ones were like twelve dollars, and the foils were like forty or fifty. So I think that the biggest thing we'll see is the decrease of the price of the pack foils or just the previous foils. And some cards like will probably stay about the same price that they are right now if they are first-time foils, like Mind Twist. I think that is like one of the premier masterpieces from this set that will probably stay around the same price that it is right now. And then the other ones that I think are probably pretty good are the ones that are four of Zen Legacy. Um, like Dark Ritual and Days and Entomb. Like those those kinds of cards are probably going to be worth more than Aggravated Assault and Attrition and Divert and even Spell Pierce. Like that one's like not particularly impressive either. So I don't know. I think there's still a lot of room for the cards to go up and down, but I think as as a as a whole, they'll probably be worth I don't know, probably between thirty and fifty dollars for the most of them. Uh, personally, I normally open as much of this set as I can. I know a lot of uh, shops like to front load the boxes, get them pre-sold, and ship them off online for, you know, like 5 to $10 profit a box over hundreds of boxes. Certainly, that adds up and pays your bills for the month. Um, with this set, I don't think I'm going to be opening so many Egyptian-themed packs, and I'm going to need a chiropractor. Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to open a couple less boxes this time. Um it's not really in our interest right now to uh, open these packs when um, Modern Masters 2017 is still performing so well for us. And I think that's something we should really talk about. Uh, we're seeing shops get the second run of Modern Masters 2017. For us, it was 20 boxes, which I think is pretty much across the board 
uh, what everybody got. You know, these things are obviously packed with value, uh, but we're seeing the sealed boxes go down in price. And at the same time, singles are starting to go up. We're seeing verdant catacombs go up. We're seeing misty rainforest go up. Those might be facts that bug you, but all the fetches seem to be going up while blood moon was down. And, uh, there's a lot of room to make money on this sort of stuff. I mean, if you look at stuff in red, you we might be able to guide our way to some profits. So what do you guys feel about boxes going down, but singles going up? Uh, I think it really means that the box price is going to be reflective of the fact that each box could be really good or really bad, which is like naturally been the, the, the bane of master sets existence is like, Having too many expensive mythics and too many bulk rares in a box means that your box, like your average boxes, will not will over the course of a large number be a reasonable amount of money. But you know you're going to open the you know the boxes that have no fetch lands, and your mythics are like Olivia, Bonfire, and Entreat the Angels, and you're just going to wish that you have sold it for like 180 or 190 instead of trying to open it for more money. So. And I think that players have finally realized that that's the case as well. And there's just not as many people that are interested in, in busting boxes for cards that just might not be in there. Like, it's just easier and just better to just buy them from the store. And I think that that's, like, a trend going forward that, that will keep card prices closer to the uh, sealed product value because people are not willing to pay more money for these Modern Masters boxes, even though they could have expensive cards in them. They know it's not a good value because of, you know, just how packs work. And in, I think people are just getting smarter about it. I think, like, the kind of the initial rush also kind of wore off now that, like, I think part of the higher EV was built into the uncertainty around a lot of these cards. Like, oh, like, where could Liliana end up in, like, a week or two? Like, I think that kind of helped... Uh, boost up the price a little and now that all everything is kind of settled in place like you know exactly what to expect out of a box you know what your ceiling looks like you know what your floor looks like realistically you're probably going to end up somewhere between the 40th 40th and 60th percentile there's a lot less appeal now especially if you have to like do all the work to get all your money back especially out of like you know even like the dollar rares and then like the one to two dollar uncommons you really have to work to get back Whereas during opening week, it really didn't take that all that much work to just open up a monster box and just get rid of some of the cards and do very well. So I think I think that's a big part of it. I it's it's mostly the the novelty's gone, the the sheer randomness is gone, and just once people realize that oh, this is actually more work to break even or do well in my box, I think that like all three of those factors have kind of depressed the price on boxes, and now, they're just they're just not moving as fast. So you're saying the price of boxes is being depressed, Ed. Uh, at the same time, we're seeing the average EV hit over 190 even $200 before we even factor in foils. Do you think that there's a way that um, there's any way for people to buy these boxes from their local st- shops and make a bit of a profit? Or are all they going to be left with is just bulk rares? Again, I think a big part of it is like the work you're willing to put in, right? Like if... Like the biggest problem is a lot of people have reported like highly like a lot of variants in their boxes. Like you have like you just have a very high end of oh this box is great. I opened like one of each fetch, like the like the Tarmogoyf Liliana Cavern of Souls box. And then there's boxes where you open like Pass and Fame, Sphinx's Revelations, and just 
one fetch and you just completely get ranched on your box. Like, I think, like, the, that also makes it a lot less appealing, even though technically the EV will remain consistent. You don't, like, from my experience, seeing people open up boxes, you don't really have a kind of middle-of-the-curve boxes, as it were. And I think that might also be a deterrent. And again, trying to get all your value out of, like, the $1 to $5 cards is actually pretty difficult to do, unless you have a full a full operation, like a store or whatnot, or you're willing to, like list cards on TCG and get like every penny out of all your cards. I don't really have a lot to add. I stay away from sealed product. I don't think it's worth it. All right. Well, I think we can move on then from Amonkhet and um, Modern Masters 2017 as obviously Amonkhet is not a pyramid scheme. Uh, now, Morgan, you said you deal with Lodestone Golems a lot, Lodestone Golem a lot as their general community manager and buyer. Are there sort of uh, things people should look out for? And I know Ed and I deal with this a lot. Jim obviously has a great setup that I'm sure he can explain because uh, your shop's actually good, Jim. When you're trading in or dealing with people that are buying your cards, are there tips that all four of you guys use to negotiate better deals or to negotiate maybe paying a little less? Um, so what Lodestone does is our plan is to offer on every one of your cards and I think for some people, that means that, oh, they're just going to low, lowball us on everything. But what we try and do is offer based on what we need and not just what a card is worth. So if you're at a store and you're looking to sell cards and you have a lot of cards that you could consider selling, look for what they're out of in their cases. Like we have cases that have little slots that have the name of the card, like, you know, we're out of Path to Exile, or right now we're out of Kitchen Finks and Liliana's. And so you're going to get the best bang for your buck on cards that people need a lot. Um, also, just being like personable and letting the person who is buying your cards do their work rather than like hovering tends to make them like make the make the exchange a lot more pleasant for the both of you. Like you, you know, and I know what the card is worth or you should suspect that i know what the card is worth so like double checking the price of every single card on your phone while i'm doing it does not make me like happy to be working with you at that point uh just it, it feels kind of rude okay so i i have a, a thought here because i don't traffic and vendor buys and sells nearly as frequently as jeremy and ed do uh so because my volume is so much lower, I tend to be a little more interested in trying to scrape the margins. So I remember sitting at, an, at a GP a while ago and, and they're going through my cards and they're putting them in stacks. And some of them I knew off the top of my head and I was okay with. And other ones I was kind of looking up on my phone as he was placing them on the buy mat. And it wasn't that I didn't trust the guy. Like I knew that he knew his prices. For me, it was a question of, all right, well, you're offering me, I don't know, $3 on pick a card. And uh, I'm like, well, He's giving me $3. I believe that that's his number, but like I need to go see what the buy list price is like online because I don't remember. Because if it's $5, I might just hold it and do it over there. But if it's $3.50, I'm just going to let him take it. So, I mean, from my perspective, it, from at least, and that's just me, not, not everyone who comes. It's not that I don't believe the guy or think that he's wrong. It's just like I'm just curious what the gap is there because sometimes I'm completely fine with what their offer is and other times it's big enough that like I might want to go look somewhere else type of thing. Yeah, and... Um, I think that part of it is you guys were talking about this last week where you were talking about like time and you were paying for time. Hold where, up. Hold up. Yeah. 
I'm not, yeah. not, not, not to be rude. Not to be rude and interrupt because I know people hate that. You listen to our cast. Jesus. I'm not gonna come on a cast that I've never listened to. Ah, uh, well, I 100 percent would. <laughs> yeah, I actually, won't go on That's a cast. Why you that don't I've get invited, huh, Travis? <laughs> well, we appreciate that you put in the necessary work of listening to a shit post for an hour on the last one. Uh, continue <laughs> on, obviously. You, you've actually that done was actually more. Super- well, you've done more work for this cast than any of us ever have already. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Okay. Well, okay. So you were talking about you were talking about how like part of the deal when you're going up to a vendor, you're going up to a card store is like the understanding that one of you has to put in the time in order to get value from the cards. And if it's you, that's great. Like you need, like, as long as you've done your homework and know what your cards are worth, that's fine. But like, if I give you a price and you're like, oh, that, well, TCG mid is different. And I explain to you, you know, TCG mid isn't necessarily what we go by just because like, their X, Y, their X, Y, and Z factors, like somebody's front loaded all of these like lightly played ones and this isn't the price for a lightly played one or whatever. And then you do it the next time I, I present with you at the price, it's, it's, it's gonna be very, very slow. So all of a sudden my time is doubled and your time is doubled as well. And it, 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 it's a lot more hostile than it needs to be. No, that's that's totally fair. I mean, I I don't disagree with that sentiment whatsoever. Not that I disagreed with your first one either, but that's a good point. So before Ed jumps in, because he's seen everything as far as the the dirty and grimy Grand Prix circuit goes, who knows what goes on in those convention halls? Um, my general experience, and I think Ed can back me up on this. You have the people that bring in cards in a binder, separated by color, separated by price. And they'll, they'll wiggle with you a bit. You know, they know Channel Fireball or Star City's by price. And because you're obviously not Channel Fireball or Star City, you can offer a little more and they're pretty happy. Then you have the neckbeard who comes in with like a fat pack of random rares and like five cent commons and he places it down and he's just like, I'd like to sell this, please. And then you have to go through and pick all the money cards out and you have to put a, put aside all the old standard rotated cards that aren't worth anything anymore, like Golgari Charm or Selesnia Charm. And then when you're all done, two things happen. He either says, okay, that's fine. Or he complains about the price. Or the worst one that I know vendors hate is when you make all the stacks for him. And then he gets up and goes to sell them to somewhere else because you already did all the work. (laughs) So I've seen that happen, you know. Uh, I haven't done it to anyone because I probably would just get ostracized by like tails or something because i've brought just like one case full of like rares that i haven't sorted yet to gps but the most infuriating thing in my opinion is when you bring in these bulk boxes of rares and money uncommons and then someone just has the audacity to pick it all up once you've done all the hard work and walk away i gotta tell you that guy is amazing he's truly truly setting setting the stage for all of us just that's get... like that's like scumbag sig that'd be like if sig didn't do anything and he just came to a grand prix of the box to be fair we sig messaged me after the last cast that he listened to which was last week and i promised i wouldn't go hard on him anymore because he listens to all of our casts don't don't yell at sig anymore let's find the uh, one person who listens saying... every week and then make fun of him mercilessly <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not saying that i'm not saying that that is sig because sig is not a scumbag i'm saying if sig, sig were a scumbag he would do that yeah the other thing i've seen is when people make purchases at our shop and they'll try to like uh, tell their credit card company to cancel them because they didn't like do it. And it's like, we have your signature right here. You're on our video cameras. Yes, you did indeed buy two cases of Modern Masters 2017. Like, come on. Back. 
or like yeah. yeah like do you just never want to play magic again like you're just gonna get banned from a store for doing that right now let's get into what ed can legally allegedly say on this cast about his gp experiences I think, like, the biggest thing is, like, I think for people who've never been to Grand Prix before, especially some of our listeners who might be looking to go to a Grand Prix for the first time, especially if, like, Vegas is going to be your first Grand Prix, you just want to make sure, like, you're a normal person, as crazy as it sounds. Like, I know, like, I'm sure Morgan Contessa's, like, Jeremy Contessa's, way too many people just come up to us and just are just as obnoxious as possible, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, a little research goes a long way. Know your prices. Be personable. Like we are actually, despite the fact that we're running a business, we are we actually want to help you out. We actually want to be a reasonable person. We're not trying to just lowball you. I granted, there are stores out there that will lowball you, but I think most vendors on the GP circuit, uh, most of them are pretty reasonable people. I know almost every vendor on the circuit. Most of them are reasonable people. They do have varying. Uh, ways of running their business so there are things where and not every vendor is going to excel at everything but being personable and like doing a little research uh in advance like last week we had talked about ogre boxing trying to get some idea of what you want in your mind just goes a long way um a lot of people seem to like the uh what will you offer me on this i'm trying to get a price and then i'm just gonna sell to the vendor who gives me the best price game um I'm really not a fan of that game. I generally don't like people who do that. Um, the way I will save time, mainly because my time is valuable. Um, I, you might not value your time very high, but my time is valuable. Like my employees, like their time are valuable. Is if you come up to me and say, what will I pay on the stack? I will just look at you and say, what price do I have to beat? And if I can't beat that price, I'm not even going to offer. That's just the fastest way to do it. You know what my number is. And obviously you're not going to take a lower number and I'm just not going to offer um um for very high-end things though they will double check that for example i sold a couple alpha dual lands that were near mint at a gp providence and the number they did that whole thing where don't waste my time what's the number i have to beat and i told them and then to make sure they went over to the other vendor that i had quoted in this case general fireball and they said is this what you're actually paying and they said yeah and they're like all right i'll pay a hundred more yeah like on higher end things that's fine like you know, obviously, if you're look, if you're trying to shop around like your Lotus or something, right? I don't mind like taking it out, looking at the condition, and giving you like a reasonable quote. Mainly because one, I want to know if my price is competitive. Two, I want kind of give a pulse on the other dealers in the room. But if you're gonna hand me a stack of like just modern staples, realistically, most of the prices are going to be within maybe five percent of each other. Uh, like I don't mind laying it out if you know if that's what it takes to get the buy. But way too many people, they just like have a giant collection like a binder and say hey what will you give me on the binder and those are the type of people that i'm less inclined to give the same buy numbers to because believe it or not there are the posted numbers and there are the friend numbers and i'm willing to give the friend numbers to a lot more people than i probably should you just have to be like a reasonable person to get those numbers on my side i'm also competing with other stores like I don't have a captive audience like at a GP. I mean, you you guys you guys compete with other vendors too, but um, like I want to buy your stuff, so like I'm not gonna be rude to you, and I'm not gonna try and like lowball you in a way that makes you want to leave my shop. So like you can, it's pretty safe to assume that the person that you're working with is genuinely trying to make a transaction with you rather than just trying to viciously shark you. Yeah, I must hear like, Jeremy Spooth. 
The uh, I I will ne- I hope to never have a GP booth, man. That would be so bad. <laughs> like it, you know, uh, Morgan and Ed. Well, Ed maybe not so much, but Morgan has a lot of shops in the area, and they've made a name for themselves on like how clean the shop is, how friendly the shop is, and obviously the buy prices and why people go there. Even I've heard about it, and I'm all the way down in rural Missouri where we have basically a monopoly. There's only one other shop that competes with us. And yesterday I thanked them for their fifth year anniversary of being able to offer horrible buy prices so that they drive traffic to us. Ed is also sort of in that position where he's in rural New York and there's not that many people to compete with, but you're not going to be on top in a major metropolitan area unless you're that good of a shop. And that's what Lodestone has managed to do in like a year. So just for people listening, like I've sort of copied Lodestone's formula. I like said, Hey, where'd you get your cases from? The owner's like, here they are. We're actually going to have them on the cast next month. And he's like, here's the link to those cases. I'm like, sweet copy Lodestone. That was easy. Stuff like that. So they're definitely doing something right. Or I'm just spending a lot of foolish money on cases. Yeah, we really worked because, you know, um, the owners of the store and like myself and the other manager that were involved in opening the store we all play magic and we were all pretty deeply invested in the Minneapolis community when we started working on Lodestone. So we knew what we wanted to see and we knew what we weren't seeing. And we just put all of that together into the store when we, when we were working it out. You guys ready to move on to the next thing? Sure. All right, so this is sort of a touchy subject, so I'm not quite sure how long. I know we were talking about this precast just to make sure we would phrase this correctly, at least for everyone not named Ed who showed up on time. Um, So there's this stereotype out there with women in the magic community. And obviously, as a cis man, I don't have ground to stand on when it comes to talking about this sort of stuff. But are there ways when dealing with female buyers or when selling to female customers, Morgan, that the rest of us can do something about and work towards having a better experience for everyone involved that we may not understand? I think there's this kind of awful stereotype sometimes of women in buyers being like, uh, or women in stalls being like the girls that you see at cons like i don't know there's an awful stereotype of women wearing bikinis outside booths trying to attract people to cons uh to their booths and cons and stuff and that's not why any woman is at a booth at all ever probably um with with regards to magic i don't know about other communities as much but like we're just there to do a job and so like it's awful to assume that the person that you're dealing with is not going to know what she's doing because she's just there as window dressing uh, because she's probably just as capable of not more capable than her coworkers. And so like what I was talking about before, like looking over my shoulder or like asking to talk to a coworker to see what prices they give you, there's a good chance that he gives you the exact same price or worse because you went and asked dad what he was going to like for a different outcome um so yeah that's that's a little soapbox that i've had there's some like experiences where you know i somebody asked me for a card or like shows me a card and they're like oh this one's used in infect i'm like i know what might have old croza is you know that sort of thing is just it just gets my goat sometimes i don't think that that at least that last comment is necessarily just because 
they like I don't I think that everyone has experienced that where like someone's like oh yeah this card oh you might not know of it it's it's played in this deck all the time like that kind of stuff is just some people just don't understand how to have a reasonable conversation with another human being and that's not necessarily has to do anything with gender but maybe you experience it more often because of that but I really feel like people have to understand that the person that's buying your cards. I, I just kind of want to like step back a little bit to like what we were previously talking about. The person that's buying your cars is giving you numbers, isn't trying to give you the lowest possible numbers that they can. That's not their objective here. Their objective is to buy your cards, but their objective is also not to lose money. So if they're not giving you numbers that you like, then don't sell them there. But chances are, if they're worth your worth going back to that store, they are going to give you numbers that you should like, or you're just wait, asking too much money for your cards. If you're asking for TCG low or TCG mid on your card, you're at, at a store. If you try to sell them to a store for that much money, you you need to reevaluate how much money you decide that you want to get for these cards because that's just not a realistic number. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that like if you're going to sell your cards to a store, they're going to give you about half or less of what you pay them for the cards. I literally spent two grand on labor this week in sorting collections that I bought in. Like I bought out a shop. I bought out a lot of established players collections. The reason why I'm offering you that number is because I have to pay these people a wage so that they can sort my cards so that we can grade them so that we can get them in the system so that we can ship them so that we can pay shipping so that after a week or two, we get our money back. Like it, it's not, if, if all shops were making that much money, like we'd all be living in shops made out of palaces with like, you know, gold sleeves made out of actual gold and like a fine silver platter to serve your little Coke of Pepsi on. But it's not that way. You know, this is a retail environment. Customers are picky and the margins are not what they seem unless you're buying everything at a bulk rare price, because I don't think you can lose that, which of course is Doug's motto. But yeah, like it, you know, we, the shop that one of the shops that I work with, has been around for 20 years and they have a ton of inventory that goes for all games like tabletop minis. I, I don't really do much of that. And like card games and everyone's like, wow, you have all this stuff because your margins are insane. It's like, no, this has been a grind for 20 years and that's why it worked out is because they knew what they were doing. I don't know. It just annoys me when people think that shops are easy money, because if you want to become a millionaire, start with a billion dollars and build a shop. Like it's just not that easy. Sorry. Ed, do you want to talk about that at all or not really? Because I, I just hate it when people think shops print money. No, I think, where does the cusp print the money? Right. I think you're allowed to be a little bit sympathetic towards a customer. Like, I think your average person, like what resources they really have, right? They can look at Star City. Oh, Star City is selling them for this much. TCG player, I have to pay this much on my cards, which is a slight discount rate. Right. And when you tell them like, oh, I can only pay you 50% or whatever, right? It's kind of a kick in the gut, especially to newer players who probably invested a lot more in their cards than what they would think. Right. I think the if you're trying to market magic as a collectible card game and you're telling them that your cards are just worth almost nothing at this point. Like earlier today I was trying to uh, do a buy list for Amoncat and I was just looking at like I was just look at prices. Like currently in standard, while Wizards has been successful making standard very affordable, there's only seven cards in all of standard, excluding the expeditions and masterpieces, that are worth more than $10. And all of them are mythic, which is mind-boggling to think about, 
right? But the fact that you can open up a box of, you know, Aethervolt and you're like, realistically, you're going to open up maybe $40 of cards, right? Like that's a little disheartening to think about. And it's kind of rough for your your normal player, like your high school, college student who wants to just bind a game, play whenever they can, and then maybe cash out and either buy a new deck or just get out of the game entirely. And they're getting so little back on their initial investment. It's a little rough, so I can definitely sympathize. But I think the people who are a little more vested in this game and who expect TCG low on their cards, I, that, that's just not realistic at all. And I think way too many people are, like Jeremy said, are also under impression that you can just, like, what from what we do, like, you know, from people like Travis and Jim who just buy cards, flip collections, speculate, all the way up to owning, like, a very large store, it's not easy money. There's a lot of work that goes in. And while it's great to think, like, oh, all these, like, shitty restore balances that have gone, you know, up in value or whatever, and you're making money off of that, like, it's not it's not free, right? Like at some point in your life, you're giving up your time. You're giving up, you're locking up money in cardboard. Like you're paying for it somewhere. And it's just, it's definitely nowhere as easy as people think it is uh, like to make money as it was compared to a few years ago before MTG finance really became mainstream. And it was just super easy to just turn things over super rapidly when everything was just looking to go up every week. Anything you want to add, Travis? I don't think there's anything I could add. You guys have a lot more perspective on this than I do. I suppose uh, I suppose I can say I can understand why why players can occasionally get blindsided when they show up and they hear numbers way less than they would like to when it comes to buying. But I think that's just, as was stated earlier, just a gap between perception and reality. It's not any sort of malice. It's just you just don't realize, right? I think that one of the things that is relatively useful to explaining like why your cards are like why getting any money at all for your cards is great is because like you can point to the used video game industry and say <laughs> those guys will give you you know five dollars on your sixty dollar xbox game that you paid you played twice versus like you have this modern deck that you played you know for a hundred hours and we're able to give you fifty percent on it um so I think that like magic has some kind of parallels that where it comes out on top is in terms of hobbies that if you have somebody that is like really concerned about this, that's talking to you, especially if they're a newer player, then you can kind of show point to them, point, point out where they get the value in reality. And magic is such a liquid game. That's what nobody realizes. There's no other hobby. Like if you want to go and get drinks with your buddies, because we're, well, not all of us are around college age. Sorry, Travis. But um, if you want to go and get drinks with your buddies, you're not getting anything back besides maybe a messy toilet in the morning from being hung over. Like people don't understand that when you're drafting, it's cheaper than going to a movie. You get some form of, even if you open all bulk, you may get a bulker and that adds up. And there's always people... Uh, that are willing to come and um, buy these cards because like this is such a big industry. You know, TCG players raking in a lot of money now because they've basically conquered the market outside of FeeBay, which isn't working that well. They introduced TCG Player Pro, which we've talked about, and they're making even more money because it's so easy after Crystal Commerce basically shit the bed for everybody involved. It was just such a bad program to work with. And now we have TCG Player Pro, which has its cons and, and um, positives. Pros? But many Would you positives. say pros? 
Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, um, Ed literally puts in, from what I can say that he said on this cast, Ed was on the road for five weeks straight, grinding for, like, Kerwans and him and himself. And he had a vacation, of course, to, to take a break, obviously. But, like... The, if you're watching this live or if you're watching the YouTube version of this, which I recommend you do because we're all dressed up nicely except for Ed, like even though Ed grinded for five weeks, those shelves behind him are not full of gold bars behind. Like you go on the road for five weeks across the United States and you buy out every shop like what Ogre does where you take a van and you just load it with as many cards as possible. You bring it back to the shop and ta-da, you know, have inventory to buy and sell. Um all that work that he put in, like, pays the rent for the shop. And people don't realize, especially when it comes to traveling and buying out other shops or buying massive collections, exactly how much work it is if this if the collection is not alphabetized, if it's not graded, and, like, the amount of things that will go wrong that you don't realize, like, maybe a card you didn't grade correctly and it's got a little bend on the back. And, you know, if you send a, a card with one little ding on it on TCG player, someone's going to go, sorry, had a ding. I want my money back because this is not lightly played one star. They're Like, Magic players will complain about literally anything when dealing with them from the retail side. And as at least three of us who work with shops on this cast, it's honestly annoying a ton, especially when it comes to reserving cards and not picking them up for a month because that's just lost money at that point. Um I've had a lot of that lately with Modern Masters 3, and it's been absolutely insane to deal with. So I'm surprised that you do that kind service for them. So we will hold cards up to a month for a customer because we want your business that bad. Um, obviously, Ed may giggle at that because, you know, that's like ludicrous when it comes to the GP, uh, the GP way of doing things, which is get everything, flip it as soon as possible because you have payments to make for the next GP the next week. But I have the luxury of being the more successful shop in the area of having the financial backing to just sit on stuff for a while and not have to worry about it. Whereas Ed's got bills to pay the week after. Because I'm just one guy. Like, you know, I pay a bunch of people to help me out and that's it. But I'm the, I only trust myself at this point, which is not the best thing to do. But I haven't found anyone up to the task yet to be a second. All right, all right. Why don't you all climb down off your horses about what nope. it's, how awful we, it is to run a do business? Do you know how hard it is to get off all these gold bars on, below my chair right now? Like The only thing I want to talk about is how Ed, with plenty of advanced knowledge, couldn't scrounge up a blazer. They're like six bucks at Salvation Army. Oh, my God. I'm literally just never going to hear the end of this. So for anyone watching the YouTube casts, um, like anyone who goes back and watches the video as opposed to listening to this on SoundCloud, I will give everyone a quick walk around of our downstairs just in case anyone wants to see this. I'm not going to show you guys everything since there's stuff that I can't really show down here. Proprietary um, information, dog. Get on it. Right. But I, so anyone watching, I will walk around with my Mac and show. So behind – so that is all stuff that has been sorted. That's been uh, – that's waiting to go online. There are boxes on here. Uh let me see. I can't find one with the date, but there are boxes on here that have been here since September. These have been sorted since September, and we have not found the time to put one box online. Right here. Here you go. Uh, I think this is a box of 8th edition that's been sorted September 22nd. It's been sitting here since <laughs> September 22nd. Still has not gone online. Um, this is what the sorting area looks like. Cards start at that end. That's where new, new cards go. 
and it slowly makes its way down into uh, cards that are individually sorted by set. And then all these boxes are all the sets where cards are alphabetized and put into. And from there, they get moved to the palace and get put online. This is from a collection that we bought weeks ago. Stuff hasn't even been sorted into sets yet. Um, you going to show them your pinup calendar from last year that you made? Pinup calendar? Yeah, the one with you in the swim trunks. Oh, uh, not, not that. Um, this is just the amount of volume that's only standard. Currently, there's only Kaladesh and Aether Vault here. But this is, a, this is what we go through just to, uh, just to restock our TCG. And then this, are, this is like three pallets of unsorted bulk. There's Pokemon in here. There's Yu-Gi-Oh in here. Uh, there's just booster boxes that people sell. Like, this is just an insurmountable amount of stuff, and it keeps growing. Like, we can put our, um, our sorters, people who buy stuff, like, they can come down here and sort, but the amount of labor it takes to go through all this, uh, it, like, we're just so far backed up, and the fact that Amonkhet is coming out, that's just, like, a week and a half of cards that just don't get sorted. Um, so, like, anyone who thinks that this is easy money, and... You can just you can just open up a shop. Like realistically, it wouldn't be surprised me if like in a year or two we just don't see like the like the small time mom pop shops, and we're only looking at like the giants in the industry like Star City, Channel Fireball, MTG deals, cool stuff, like all the big stores that can realistically shell out the labor money, uh, paying all the fees to big commerce like Amazon, eBay, TCG, whatever. Like, I think that might be the future of the industry, mainly because it's, like, any small store, like, this is unmanageable. It's already unmanageable for us, and we have plenty of staff that take care of this. But anyone who thinks that you can just uh, speculate on the side and eventually work your way up to a store, that's just a total pipe dream. Morgan, is there a question or from a viewer that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was watching the live feed and Ken asked, do you guys even get excited about Magic Cards? Or is it just about the biz and the customers? And I don't think you paid attention to my Twitter feed because I get excited about cards all the time, namely if they have a lot of great art in them or like new, new decks and stuff. But yeah, I, I love books, Magic right? and this would be a terrible business to work in if you did not. Yeah, so you have a book collection. Is that something that you're going to start turning the page on to look to collect something else, or not really? Uh, I, I might have so to much. branch out to scrolls because I can't buy, I can't find any books in Amonkhet, and it sucks so bad. Uh, I would, yeah. Um, Ed, do you want to answer this, all About the feeling of excitement you get when you buy a Crisp Magic the Gathering card? Um... I wish I could say I got excited about Magic. Um, I really don't anymore. I've been playing this game too long. And realistically, I don't even play anymore. Um, and even vending as long as I have at this point, like which is like two, like two years on the Grand Prix circuit and then who knows how long before that. Like I've basically seen it all. There isn't really anything that anyone has brought to me that I thought this is legitimately cool, which is kind of a shame. That being said, I always do follow up on spoilers. It's always really interesting to see like what the competitive scene kind of shakes up to be. Um, I still enjoy a lot of limited. Um, like I will always, I will never turn down an opportunity to cube with people. But other than that, I just don't have time to play much Magic, and I think that has definitely kind of dampened my kind of just raw excitement for everything. 
uh, as a whole. And mainly because I, again, I do have to treat as a business once you, you know, once you have to do something for like 60 to 80 hours a week, it's kind of rough to just love it at the same level that you did when you were a kid. Jim, when you see a red foil, do you get shocked at all or do you bolt to the other room? Um, it depends. Sometimes it'll guide me in the right direction. Sometimes... Already used it. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I fucked when up. We were talking about Modern Masters 2017. You're real no, bad no, at puns no, we're today. In, we're, no, I can reuse that one. No, you can't do that to me. I said okay. a riff between you two. Hey, uh, Jim, you were saying? Well, he said bolt, so it could have been either bolt. You don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I like the masterpieces. I think they're exciting. These are not, like, my cup of tea. I don't like the way they look very much, but I'm still excited for the masterpiece series in general. Um, and, like, I, I enjoy playing EDH, so I get excited for legendary creatures and spells that cost too much and don't do enough. Um, I don't know. Like, there, there are still things to be excited for for Magic. I'm not excited to, like, go to FNM every Friday because I don't do that anymore, but I'm still excited about the cards. I enjoy playing them. I Travis. like working FNM. Oh, my bad. Yeah. I like working FNM because, like, Did we lose her? Uh, looks like it. Yeah, the moon. Hey, Morgan, you might want to restart your internet. Give me. Ah, stop. With the least amount of. Yes, the least FNM. amount of. We'll play uh, that. Uh huh. Cool. Oh, you're so mean. <laughs> um, Travis, as the lovely personified image that I have here of you with a lovely thing of Morton Sea Salt, is there any cards that get you excited anymore? Or have you not been excited since you got drafted in Nam? I mean, I got excited when I saw As Foretold. I think part of the reason I got excited was because I knew what it did for Restore Balance. I was like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> our Restore Balances. Uh, so my first, my first blush, I think when I process these cards mentally i tend to be processing them from what does this do to the market perspective but i definitely get excited looking through the spoilers like i still you know i haven't honestly haven't played a competitive game of magic or i've played like three games of competitive magic in probably close to two years at this point just because of uh local local barriers but um I still get excited when I see the cards at, at, at purely a player level. Like they still excite me. I still start thinking about modern brews. We still spend all spoiler season talking about all this cool stuff. So it is, it is still pretty interesting. The player never really leaves you. I think as long as you started out as a player. I will admit I, I do. There's like some special cards in the set that like resonate with me. Like I really want to kill somebody with approach of the second sun, like something awful. Like I just want to cast that so bad and just like make people have to read it like twice to figure out what's going on i think you really have to plan it with that deck i'll i'll see if i can approach it in a way that lets me plan it well yeah Guys, the sun isn't a planet it's an incandescent mass of gigantic nuclear furnace for anyone who gets that morgan are there any other cards that get you excited when they walk in the shop big bag of hot gas just like jeremy is I really like duels. I love buying duels and I love selling duels because it lets me know that more people are getting into legacy. And like, there have been a couple yeah, of people in the past few weeks who came in and they're like, I'm building a legacy deck. And I'm like, 
are you buying duels? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, oh, you're committing. It's like. It's like your internet died. It's like getting engaged. Oh, friend or <laughs> uh, no. Did I drop? What happened? You guys threw me off. Uh, your internet went out again. You want to try saying that one more time? Okay, so I like it when people come in to buy duels because it lets me know that they are like really committed to legacy. It's I, I like to equate it to uh, getting engaged to your significant other because that's like that's commitment. This it's, these these comments lead me to believe that you've never played legacy or gotten engaged. <laughs> you should be excited okay. about neither of them. <laughs> Holy shit, Travis! <laughs> You're gonna have a First? bunch of white knights coming after you after this cast, man. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sad. I don't know Travis's fiance now. <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't know her what? either. <laughs> or does she? Yeah, legacy is great, and it's. I'm really glad that people get into it still. And so I like and, selling tools to people, and then I like buying them because then I have them to sell to people. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. It is exciting to share your passions with people. Like that is tends to be very satisfying for for many out there. So I can certainly respect that. Yeah, legacy is real good in the Midwest. We have a group of people from Lodestone driving down to play in our tournament at the end of the month. As much as I begged Overturf to come, he wouldn't come unless I gave him a buy, which I can't do as TO, I'm pretty sure. So I'm not giving him a buy. Like that guy wants maximum EV for everything, no matter what. Uh <laughs> I like how you're complaining about him as you messaged us last week. You're like, oh, hopefully we can have Ryan on the cast soon. Yeah, because I want to flame him on. I want to be like, dude, why do you why do you demand a buy to come down to my little podunk shop in Missouri? Like, come on, man. It's really uh, so that he has an excuse to refuse to go because he knows he'd get like creamed. Yeah. Um, that's like the thing when you're playing Delver, I guess. It's a real fun deck, but on the flip side, like it's not very fly to play. Um but yeah, Legacy is a ton of fun. We're having a full Lotus tournament coming up, so it should be fun. And um, I really like Legacy. Uh, I think that's the best format to have your money in right now because Modern's just getting... Modern's been through a sudden shock lately with prices flattening, and ever since uh, prices have come down a bit, like it's been good for players and maybe shops, but for the established player that has everything, I don't know if they're feeling so good about it with Goifs being at 90 um, you know, if you were really going to invest your money in a safe spot, you should buy EDH cards and EDH decks because you'll never take them apart and they'll never be worth less money than you spent on them. Okay, I swear, after I listened to your podcast, I started building another EDH deck and yeah, that was... Yeah, what do you think I'm going to do? As <laughs> soon as this set comes out, I'm going to pick a god and I'm going to make an EDH deck with it and then I'm going to have it for like three years and then never play it and be like, why do I still own all of these cards? Yeah. No, EDH is like where it's at. We get a full shop on Tuesdays for EDH just because you can have it anywhere from like people playing pre-con decks all the way up to people playing competitive. And versus um, versus competitive magic, where I would argue if you miss a turn and you're playing a budget deck, it punishes you more. EDH is just sort of everyone having fun, especially when you're playing bigger games. And that's why it sells so many cards for everyone. Unless you're playing Those games you play are not fun. As a, unless you're playing EDH with Jeremy, then nobody gets to have any fun. Correct. Stacks is the life, man. I mean, nothing says welcome to Jeremy Magic like turn one Misha's workshop into Trinosphere and EDH. That's like primo right there. Oh, thank God you didn't do that to me. Yeah. No, no. I, I love. Trinosphere doesn't think costs eight in EDH anyway. 
Say that again. <laughs> Trinosphere doesn't do anything because everything costs eight eight in EDH anyway. Right, but no, no, no. Spells cost eight, but you have to cast stuff before you get to turn eight. Otherwise, you might not do anything and die. Yeah, as Jim and Ed know, it's Trinosphere into Sphere of Resistance into Throne of Amethyst into like all the other fun thing into Lodestone Golem. I think it was in that game. Like, it's all about not being able to cast stuff. Uh, I think we killed Lodestone Golem at least twice. Yeah, in that game. Oh, that is the worst. No, man. Like, that's how you're supposed to play Magic. I, I mean, I'm playing, like, a fun deck in Vintage coming up, but, like, yeah. All right, let's move on to the next question, I guess. I think we've spent enough time on that, if that's so all right hungry. with you guys. So, um, so Ed is finally back at home in New York, uh, and there's no GPs for the rest of April. How does that uh how does that affect online pricing when no one's able to buy these cards? Uh, GPs. Uh, sales are like it, sales have been a little bit slower. I think one, no one's willing to really buy standard. Uh, and we kind of talked about that earlier. Um, two, it's just it's just cards sell so fast after Grand Prix. You always see a massive spike in prices, and then uh, or a massive spike in sales as everything gets put online then dumped off and then it's oh we're everything good has been bought well now we're just kind of waiting which is why gps kind of work so well into a business model it's just you have you go to gp you spend all this money you sell cards you recuperate that money and hopefully then some and then you have more to spend and in theory it's a rinse and repeat but having this like lull i guess makes it kind of awkward because tcg is down both because we don't have GPs to restock inventory and two, there's uh, the, the, the prices are down. People are just like slower to buy cards right now. So realistically, we're just waiting for M and Cat. Hopefully that shakes up standard. Hopefully that brings a lot of excitement back. That's real realistically all we can hope for at this point with no Grand, Grand Prix immediately on the horizon. That's all I got. What's Jeremy doing? Why is Jeremy not telling us what he wants? I'm waiting for you guys to answer. <sighs> what was the question? I have nothing else to add. See, this is why. Why do we have Travis on if he's just going to ask what's the question every what time? What's the question? There's no Grand Prix for the rest of April. We don't get Grand Prix until May. Oh. Online prices, how does this affect them and how does this affect vendors who need cards to keep going? I don't have any information on this topic. Mm, yeah you know what'll happen is uh ed will start making some headway in that bulk that hasn't been sorted or hasn't been put away that's actually what's going to end up happening i wish it was that easy like realistically i think if people actually do want to order cards like now's your chance right like standard is cheaper than ever if you're looking to bind to something in standard it's getting pretty low like i have a hard time believing cards like uh let's look at my list here like Cletus, Cletus is down to like thirteen dollars. There was a point when we were selling it for almost twenty eight dollars at GPs and online um, back last year when it was kind of at its all time high in Jund and uh, like black green decks in uh, Standard, etc. Like it's it's at half of that now. Chandra's two dollars online, and that's down from its high of like twenty ish dollars as well when it was seeing a lot of play in like the red green ramp decks. So anyone looking to bind a standard now is not definitely not the worst time, especially if you think uh, something will go up with the coming standard. 
especially if standard is going to go off in a complete direction from the Mardu vehicles and cat combo that we're looking at right now for standard. So do you think that, that, uh, that will affect Amicap prices because, you know, there's, there's an SCG open before, like the week before any GPs happen. Uh, yeah, I think like people will be hesitant to buy, but honestly, like, like Amicat, like even though pre-orders are, they start out high and then they settle and, but eventually something's obviously going to break. There's going to be some breakout card. It could be, you know, approach of the second sun or one of the gods or as foretold, like something is going to break and then we'll see like a massive spike. Uh, so we just kind of have this cycle that happens, I guess. Um, Amica is kind of in the weird period where it's in the spring set rather than the fall set. So um, we see a slightly less um, supply get injected in the market compared to fall set, which is usually like the biggest uh, amount of supply, mainly because people like back to school. So many people just, you know, are ready coming off summer again, ready to play magic. Um, so prices for Amica right now, if you wait a few more days, probably pre-orders will get to their low and then if anything you want to get for standard that you can speculate on it'll probably be the time to buy probably within about a week once uh everyone has their pre-release cards people are looking to sell cards prices continue to drop that's probably the time to buy for Amonkhet. but then by the time starts you open like we'll definitely see you know whatever whatever the breakout cards are in the new standard uh set uh and decks like that will be the time when things go up like, if the close anal analogy would be during Aether Revolt, like cards like Rishkar, Walking Ballista, they were definitely the breakout cards during the first weekend. Um, and leading up to Pro Tour, the Black Green uh, Constrictor decks, those were definitely the big cards. And both those, all, all three of those cards, Winding Constrictor, Rishkar, and Walking Ballista, they were all super quiet during pre release. No one really had their eye on those. Walking Ballista, there was some hype people caught on that was going to be a good card, but I don't think people fully knew how busted that card was especially with mighty constrictor yeah it was really ballistic now with some of these prices that we've seen go up like crazy are there any picks of the week that you guys want to get into you're starting to like put a noose around this cast with your horrible <laughs> puns right i wouldn't want to rope you into it i oh, have a pick a way to slither in there all right morgan you have Please. a pick Please. Okay. Okay. Um, so I was kind of surprised that this hasn't happened yet because um, I feel like this card is pretty undervalued in general, unless it got banned in Commander when I wasn't looking. Um, oh God, I forgot his name. The one from Mirrodin that has all of the. Oh God, it has all of the abilities of things in its graveyard. You're freezing, you're freezing on your first cast. Are you talking about a no. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, I thought it was Noxious Use, and I was really... Okay, so at least I... You know, I, I heard this on the podcast, and I'm like, I better have something ready. Because, yeah, that card's still, like, a dollar. And it occurs to me that that might not stay the same for much longer. Like, combo with Devoted Druid and Amiket, which is basically Devoted Druid combos dot set. And, like... Necrotic Goo's Devoted Druid is already kind of a deck in Modern, like, uh, it's a little inconsistent right now, but it's pretty rough. I think we lost her again. This has a lot of, so that card goes up to 
So for those of you who could make that out, I think she wants necrotic ooze. It's going to slowly ooze its way up to uh, two or three bucks, hopefully from a dollar. Okay, can you hear me? Is that... Yeah, we are good right now. For once, your internet is worse than Jim's, which is saying something because normally down I mean, in just, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else you want to expand on since it sounds like you're back, Morgan? Yeah. Um, no, I think that's it. Like, look out. Am I going to vote a druid and vote Necroticus? And Necroticus is pretty lively. Somebody does not want you to talk about Necroticus. Evidently, Jim, you got a pick? Yeah, I uh, I talked about it in our Facebook chat a little bit, but uh, I think that Glory Bringer is going to be very good sometime in standard. I don't know when. It might not be the first week. It might not be the last week. But it's just too good to not ever be good. Like unless there's like literally no red cards in the next two years. Uh, Glory Bringer at two dollars or like two fifty, I think it is right now. I, I can't imagine that this doesn't get to be one of the most played cards in standard, especially especially if they ban Sahelirai or Felidar Guardian in the coming ban update. Like, it's not particularly good against the uh, Heart of Kirin decks, because obviously Heart of Kirin is the same size and costs three less mana, but uh, Glorybringer is the card that I think that they have seated properly to be able to kill Gideon, ally of Zendikar, because it does it all the turn right after you play Gideon, and uh, also kills the token, so it's a pretty clean answer, and something that Red doesn't get very often. So, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Glorybringer, if you want something a little bit more mundane. Uh, I also really like Approach of the Second Sun. Uh, it could be really good, and if it is, people... like It's the kind of goofy card that if it is good, people will play it a lot especially the people that usually play bad decks. So, and I think that one's like 30 cents or something. Ed? Uh, in keeping in tradition with standard cards, uh, I've mentioned this one before. I still have a lot of hope on Aetherworks Marvel. It's a $2 mythic right now. Um, it does a lot of very, very busted things. We've seen how good it is with the Sahili combo. We've seen like the... It's the really fast good approach of the second sun. Yeah, exactly. It actually, I only realized embarrassingly recently that uh, Aetherworks Marvel allows you to cast a spell. I, I thought it only allowed you to cast a creature. Um, so you can do this thing with Approach of the Second Sun and then tuck it, then draw it again with uh, Aetherworks Marvel. Um, so there's definitely cool things. I think it's one of those cards that has a very unique effect, has a very busted effect. And at $2, it's a very, very low investment, especially since uh, basically, like, battles for Zendikar block, Shadows block, and Kaladesh block, they're probably going to be at their all-time low right now, at least for the remainder of their life in standard. And if something, if one of these things break, it's probably going to be, like, one of these, like, combo enabling pieces, and Aetherworks Marvel is kind of at the forefront of that. I would also like to point out that because it's in Kaladesh block, it will be in standard for more than just six months because our rotation is coming up in the fall. And that's going to kick out Battle for Zendikar and Shadows of Rinderstrahl block. There's a there's an issue with your Aetherworks Marvel approach with the Second Sun combo. It has to be cast for, from your hand. So so what you do is you cast the first one with the Aetherworks Marvel. You put it seven cards down, and then in your next <laughs> upkeep, you activate Marvel again to take the top six sure. card that you draw is the second sun and then you can cast it from your hand i thought it was second from the bottom 
So seventh. Okay. Seventh you got the, me. Roses are red. Magic is hard. Always remember, read the fucking card. I assume it's supposed to be as like kind of like a week, but I don't know. Honestly, Jim, that pick sounds marvelous. I actually really like that where you're going. <laughs> oh man. Ed and I comboing together. Yep. Uh Travis, you got a pick for us this week? Uh everyone but you. Um I <laughs> I think I might have talked about it on the cast before, but I'm not sure. Uh, I really like Cart Clan Ironworks. If you can find any copies left, they're pretty much gone, so this isn't that helpful to anyone, but it, you should check your local stores to see if they have any copies floating around. By the time I looked it up, it was at, like, I don't know, 7 or 8, and now, like, there's one copy for 950 on TCG Player, and they're, like, 13, 14, 15 everywhere else. So um, if you can score those for cheaper than that, go for it. But I know that that doesn't really do you a lot of good. So the other card I'm keeping an eye on is Channeler Initiate which is the pseudo Sylvan advocate that's in this set. It's like the two mana three, four that comes into play with three minus one, minus one counters. So that's like our, our good two mana, uh, mana dork Sylvan advocate was like 10 or 12 bucks at one point. Rattleclaw mystic never climbed above $2. So it's kind of tricky to figure out where these are going to land because you never really know based on what the format looks like. Um, but the fact that your Monodork turns into a 3-4 is pretty respectable later in the game. Um, you know, they're 3 bucks on Star City right now, so I don't love them at $3. But if you can start grabbing these kind of cheap at your local store, uh, I think that this has a pretty good shot of, uh, of kind of climbing out of the hole that Green is in right now. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. I didn't think about that. Um, keeping with long-standing predictions, I'm going to go with one that makes me look real good on our Google documents for all the picks for this year. If you haven't seen it, it's pinned at the top of our Twitter page at cartel underscore finance, where I am clearly winning because I'm just picking easy long-term stuff. And, uh, Ed's getting blasted because he picks something that doubles in a week and then just goes back down. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with risen executioner for this week. It's finally bottomed out. You can find copies as low as a dollar, mids a dollar eighty, and this seems like a free win in the long term, especially with zombies getting some more love in the newest set. They're in the wrong color. Why? They're all white. I I'm and going with zombies, man. White. It's all I about mean, those zombies. Know, there are blue cars that make white zombies, and that's fine, right? Also, there are some black zombie enablers. Like Liliana's mastery is pretty pretty good. Yeah. Like, I, I want zombies here, man. Like, that's the train that I'm on at this point. Um, there's no pun there for everyone who was pausing. Uh, yeah, I, I like this. I think this goes up to five bucks in two years. Like, I'm giving you an A-plus for not having a pun. <laughs> right? Yeah, Saving I guess you could years. say I've risen to the uh, occasion. I uh, just hate you <laughs> so much. All right. Now let's get into the favorite part of the cast where we plug where people can find us and, of course, any shout-outs that you want to give to people who may listen to this cast every week and then get mad at you. Oh, well, now her, uh, her Wi-Fi is going to... Her internet connection is going to work without a problem now that she's plugging her store, right? You know it. Okay, okay, okay. So let's do this fast. Uh, I am Morgan. You can find me at MTG Valkyrie on Twitter. You can find Lodestone Coffee and Games in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And you can find it at Lodestone CG. That's lo the name Lodestone, the letter C, the letter G on Twitter as well. That was easy. Uh, Edwin, 13. You have no shout outs. You have no uh, places you write, stuff like that. 
Morgan? Uh, no, uh, I do, I do, I do. Uh, shout out to the cartel aristocrats for having me on the, the show. Well, you are really just trying to endear yourself so hard. It's like the opposite. I put out a call for you guys. I'm not going to work hard. And the uh, internet's I'm not gone. Not work hard. Yeah, shout out to Ed for not being able to afford a coat. We really appreciate the level of dedication required for this cast. You know, he's really living that message earlier that the shop makes no money. This is him kind of living that. You know, he's, he's on brand, on message with that. Yeah. Ed, you got any shout outs or where people can find you? Shout out uh, to my shout out to my GoFundMe. Could uh, <laughs> someone make one for Ed? I would I would donate at least a dollar. Buy Ed a suit jacket. It's got to be the same color as that track jacket he's wearing now. Okay, so cool little story. Uh, in case anyone doesn't know where Corona's Game Store is, we are in Catskill, New York. It is two hours north of the city, an hour south of Albany. We are in the Sticks. If you've never been to Sticks, we are in the Sticks. If you ever want to come visit the Sticks, come to Catskill, New York. There are literally people sitting in a gas station parking lot in lawn chairs drinking coffee. Like that is what living in the Sticks is like. If you've never been to Sticks, come to Catskill, go to a gas station. That being said, I'm Edwin13 on Twitter. Uh, I'm the buyer at Kerwin's Game Store. You guys will probably see me uh, on vacation in Japan next. After that, I will be in Amsterdam on vacation again and in Vegas. Uh, so, yeah, those are my next events. Uh, come check us out, KerwinsGameStore.com uh, for your, all your gaming needs. Hi, Jim. All right, so my name is Jim Casal. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Gathering Magic every other week, including today. Uh, you can find me on Modern Nexus every week. And if you're going to the pre-release in Orlando, Florida, you can find me at the Cool Stuff Games in Waterford Lakes. I'll be playing on Saturday. And I am Travis Allen um, on Twitter at WizardBumpinBumpin. Uh, I write every Monday for MTGPrice.com. I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast, which I'm not going to ask Morgan if she listens to, but I'm going to assume she does. If you like playing Magic, check out Scry.Land with new features being added right now. Find Magic in your area. And shout out to Morgan for being the first person on this cast, both guest or host, to ever listen to it. And wear a suit. That's not Ed. true. Thomas listens to the cast religiously. Uh, we are having Thomas and Paul on again in the near future, from what I am aware. Uh, we, For people who like listening to Paul, uh, he may have a better personality than Ed, I guess, and that's why that cast got a, a good reception. Um, let's see. What do we want to talk about? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Magic. You can find me in the great state of Missouri uh, off Highway Farty Far at Valhalla's Gate or any of the other shops I'm affiliated with. Uh, my Japan article should be coming out soon, I believe, on how to make free money traveling overseas so you can take money away from Ed so that he still can't buy a suit. As always, remember at the Amonkhet pre-release to eat healthily. You know, this is an Egyptian-themed set. We don't want you guys going to Pizza Tut. And as always, remember to shower and wear deodorant. We don't want your pheromones to get out among the crowd. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, you're yeah, the worst good kind of cast. person right now. Like, I don't want to ever talk <laughs> to you ever again. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Morgan. As always, you're a pleasure to follow on Twitter for anyone that's listening to this. Uh, we'll be back next week, obviously, of course, with episode number 51, where we can hopefully crowdfund enough money to get Ed a suit. 
our apparel and merchandise may be coming out soon. We have test products being sent to us next week. We're going to see how good they are. Apparently, these people want to be compensated for coming on a cast, which I don't understand because they should be too busy counting their bricks of gold when we're not recording this live. And we, hey, who, are we who are we compensating, the guests or the hosts? Because one of the them I'm for. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, they the the other hosts besides me need to have some sort of compensation to deal with all my puns throughout all the episodes. True. Uh, so okay. I think that's something that they're interested in. Um, so they want to talk about having a Patreon or something. I don't know. If you want to leave feedback about that, you can. Anyway, thanks for following us. You can reach out to us on cartel underscore finance. You can download this cast on SoundCloud, YouTube, or iTunes. And as always, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Bye.